Uh, the reading tonight is Matthew 10, verses 16 to 25. I am sending you out like sheep among the wolves. Therefore be shrewd as snakes and innocent as doves. Be on your guard. You will be handed over to the local councils and be flogged in the synagogues. On my account, you will be brought before the governors and the kings as witnesses to the Gentiles. But when they arrest you, do not worry about what to say or how to say it. At that time, you will be given what to say, for it will not be you speaking, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. Brother will, will betray brother to death. And father his child. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. You will be hated by everyone because of me. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. When you are persecuted in one place, flee to another. Truly I tell you, you will not finish going through the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. The student is not above the teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is not enough for students to be like their teachers, the servants like their masters. If the head of the house has been called Beelzebub, how much more the members of his household? Thank you, my brother, for reading that. Um, as we could just pray for a moment and ask the Lord to use this time profitably. Heavenly Father, we come before you, uh, before your word, in the name of Jesus, and we ask humbly, Lord, that you would speak to us this evening by your Holy Spirit that you would convince us of the truth and, if necessary, convict us of our sin. Lord, that you would move in our hearts as individuals, but also as a fellowship. Lord, help us to understand what you would say to us this evening. We receive your word as the inspired and inerrant word of the living God. And we praise you and thank you for it. And pray again that you indeed would speak to us, that we might hear your message, not so much focus on the man preaching, but on the God who speaks. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, to start um, this evening, I'd just like to show you a short video clip, which um, one of my children sent to me the other day. I was so impressed with this. It actually fits in wonderfully with um, what we're going to be talking about this evening. It's only three or four minutes long, so you'll recognise the voice. You don't need me to introduce the person speaking. Um, just listen and see what we think in the context of what we just read. I have nothing to offer but blood, toil, tears and sweat. We have before us an ordeal of the most grievous kind. We have before us many, many long months of struggle and of suffering. You ask, what is our policy? I will say, it is to wage war by sea, land and air, with all our might, with all the strength that God can give us. To wage war against a monstrous tyranny, never surpassed in the dark and lamentable catalogue of human crime. That is our policy. You ask, what is our aim? I can answer in one word, victory. 
Victory at all costs. Victory in spite of all terror. Victory however long and hard the road may be. For without victory there is no survival. Now we are the masters of our faith. That the task which has been set us is not above our strength. That its pangs and toils are not beyond our endurance. As long as we have faith in our cause and uh, an unconquerable willpower, salvation will not be denied us. Hitler knows that he will have to break us in this island or lose the war. Let us, therefore, brace ourselves to our duties. And so bear ourselves that if the British Empire and its Commonwealth last for a thousand years, men will still say, this was their finest hour. Never in the field of human conflict was so much owed by so many to so few. We shall fight in France. We shall fight on the seas and oceans. We shall fight with growing confidence and growing strength in the air. We shall defend our island, whatever the cost may be. We shall fight on the beaches. fight in the fields and in the streets. We shall fight in the hills. We shall never surrender. Never give it. Never, never, never. In nothing, great or small, large or petty, never give in except to convictions of honor and good sense. We stood all alone a year ago, and to many countries it seemed that our account was closed. We were finished. All this tradition of ours, our school history, our songs, this part of the history of our country, all were gone and finished and liquidated. Very different is the mood today. Britain, other nations thought, had drawn us hands across our slate. But instead, our country stood in the gap. There was no flinching, no thought of giving in. And by what seemed almost a miracle to those outside these islands, though we ourselves never doubted it, we now find ourselves in a position where I say we can be sure that we have only to persevere to conquer. Gents, if I could have the PowerPoint, that would be great. Well, I don't know about you, but I saw lots of parallels there between what the great Winston Churchill uh, said to motivate and encourage uh, this country in the outbreak of World War uh, II. And uh, I thought, well, there, you know, there are some parallels there with what Jesus is telling us in this passage this evening. And uh, actually, it doesn't look too kind of exciting, does it, for those disciples when, when they hear what, what Jesus said, um, that they're going to be confronted with all kinds of troubles and problems and 
chances of being killed and so on and so forth, which we'll look at in a minute. But just take a, a quick glance at some of those um, words of Churchill. I have nothing to offer but blood, toil, tears and sweat. Is that something you'd say when you're evangelizing, when you're seeking to lead someone to Jesus Christ? Uh, probably we've, we've never said that sort of thing at least in this country, we have before us an ordeal of the most grievous kind. That's not very encouraging, is it, as, as Christians to think, well, is the, is the Christian life really going to be like this? Is going to be an ordeal? I don't think I want that very much, thank you. Uh, we have before us many, many long months of struggle and suffering. Yet, for many Christians uh, around the world, that is exactly what they have to bear in mind when they consider uh, becoming a Christian. Uh, a few months ago, uh, beginning of September, when um, I went to speak at uh, Amjad's um, meeting down in High Wycombe with uh, the Christians and Muslims, uh, we had uh, you know a Muslim yeah, imam speaking, and, and I did the, the Christian part. Um, and afterwards at that meeting, we met um, quite a few Muslim people. And one of them I met in particular, I'm still in touch with him, but he is a recent convert from Islam to Christianity. He's actually got a PhD, he's a very clever man. Um, but when he was telling me that he became, he'd become a Christian, he was looking over his shoulder in case any of the other Muslims overheard. And his wife doesn't even know that he's become a Christian. Because, at least in this country, he'd immediately be ostracized, he'll be kicked out of his family, he'll be disowned. If you become a Christian in a Muslim country and you're a Muslim, the chances are today that you'll be killed. If you go to Iran today, many Muslims are becoming Christians. Uh, they have to do so, meet together in secret. They have to be Christians in secret. Because it's exactly this kind of uh, problem that um, they face. So we're looking at the expectations for mission. In fact, I'd like to change the word mission. And, and I just want to call it discipleship. Because although we talk about mission... Uh, and what we're doing as a church and the way we try to organize reaching out to other people. In fact, everything we're talking about tonight and everything that Jesus spoke about is to do with discipleship. So here are three faces. You might or might not recognize them. So I wonder if anybody um, can answer the question. What do these three have in common? So we've got a doctor, an actress, and a magistrate. Anybody watch the news at all? Anybody see the Christian news at all? You've seen the PowerPoint, so don't tell anybody. Yeah, exactly. So they, they, they've all paid a price for choosing to follow Jesus in Britain this year, and each of them lost their jobs. Top left, I should know their names. So my wife wrote them all out for me, but I've lost the piece of paper. Oh, here it is. The top left is Dr. David Makarath. Um, he's the doctor that believes there are only two genders, and he lost his job for refusing to accept that other people think there is more than two genders. So he, lost, he was dismissed by the NHS. Uh, the actress is, let's see if I can get his name right, Sheyi Omuba. And uh, she has uh, lost jobs, been turned down from parts in... Um, uh, various films, um, a new film called The Colour Purple in March this year because she didn't accept um, homosexuality, it was against her beliefs, so she lost her job. And the magistrate is a man called Richard Page, and uh, he again, just remind me, Julie, what, what his issue was. 
I think it was to do with homosexuality, one of those things that, ah, that's right. It was, it was um, allowing children to be uh, adopted by same-sex couples and that went against his belief. So he uh, was sacked, basically, by, by the government. Um, so, you know, this is nothing uh, unusual. Of course, I couldn't not mention the guy at the bottom who is... Israel Falal, that's right, um, who, as you know, is, uh, is it Fijian? Where is he from? Australian. Australian, Australian rugby player, again, who lost his job um, for his Christian beliefs. And actually today, I don't know if you knew this, November the 3rd, 2019, is um, International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church. Um, so the Persecuted Church is not just in other countries, um, very much in, in our country as well. And why are we surprised? Because I guess some of us here, if not many of us here tonight, have perhaps in one way or another come up against something that challenges uh, where we stand um, as Christians. And uh, you see, we've got to understand this, that when, when we become a Christian, it's not like you're joining the, a club, a Christian club. If you truly are born again and you come into the real church of Jesus Christ, whether you like it or not, you, we are automatically, immediately placed into a battle, a warfare. And sooner or later, you're going to discover that that affects you. And the Bible says clearly there are three areas in our lives where we have this battle. And it's quite clear in Scripture. It's the area of the world, the flesh, and the devil. So as if you're a true believer and a true follower of Jesus Christ, you're, it's not going to be long before you come into conflict with the world, like these people have experienced. Their Christian beliefs came into conflict with the system of this world. And the scripture warns us about uh, accepting the ways of the world or living the ways of the world. We are to be living as citizens of the kingdom of God. And our citizenship first is as a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. We are Christians before we are British, if you like. Um, we are Christians rather than in the world. The other area of battle we have, and I'm sure you've all experienced this if you're a Christian, is with the flesh. Yeah? How many of you have ever had the experience where you know you've got time to pray? You should be praying. You should have a quiet time. You should get your Bible out. You should seek the Lord. But everything in you says, oh, I'd rather do something else. You know, let's just be realistic. We all have that, don't we? And it's amazing how easy our flesh, our self-life, screams out against God. We don't want to do spiritual things because the scripture says that our, our, our flesh is at enmity with God. We're at war with God. We may be saved, but we still suffer from the effects of that, what the Bible calls the old man who wars against us. And then, of course, thirdly, the devil. Yeah, there is a devil, very real. If you've been a Christian for any number of years, you're sure to have experienced uh, something going on in your life that, that is from the evil one. So I'm just setting a context here. Jesus is warning the disciples in this passage tonight But what to expect as they go out into this big, wide world. And the first thing he says in our passage tonight, uh, in verse 16, uh, I am sending you out like sheep among wolves now what sheep would willingly go and sit amongst a load of wolves not really because the immediate reaction I would guess of a sheep is to run a mile from the wolves they're scared of everything aren't they I mean you go on a walk 
country lane, you see some sheep in the field, you go over to say bah to them, to say hello. And uh, they all run, don't they? Which is you know, very distressing because you just want to be nice to them. But imagine sheep amongst wolves, they're going to run. And in that similar sense, Jesus says, you know, this is the danger that, that uh, you're going to be in. Right, so let's unpick this um, the passage a little bit, and I just want to show you... Oh, I forgot this, this slide, sorry. This is um, not a very nice picture, but this is uh, an Iranian Christian who was sentenced to 80 lashes for taking wine at the communion service. We don't think twice about having communion, do we? Obviously, for strict Muslims, you're not allowed to drink alcohol, so that was their excuse. Would we prepare, be prepared to have 80 lashes for the sake of Jesus? Anyway, this is where we're going um, this evening. We're going to look at the cost of mission, uh, the reward of mission, the cost of victory, and then the reward of victory. Man, I'm going to go through it reasonably fast. Now, I've crossed out the word mission. Whoops, I think I've done too many clicks. Right. And I've put discipleship there because I think this is what it's about. It is mission, but it's also... Um, about our discipleship. So here's a list of the five things that Jesus said are going to happen if we are followers of Jesus and we're going out into this world um, to proclaim the gospel. There's the risk of being arrested by authorities. Your family will want to kill you. You'll be hated by everyone. You'll be persecuted and kicked out of town. And you're going to be maligned. Now, some of those you may have experienced in this country. You might have been maligned. You might have been laughed at um, if you're at school or at work. You know, people may not like you. Your neighbors may know that you're a Christian, and they perhaps don't want to talk to you. These things, some of these things happen to us uh, quite frequently. But this is about counting the cost um, of being a real follower of Jesus. The pictures of the British people I put on earlier on, they weren't arrested, but they were certainly, um, you know, taken to court for, for their beliefs. And I think this is something that may be happening more and more as our Christian faith comes more and more into conflict with a godless world, with a world that is not interested very much in the gospel we have to proclaim, with a world that has different sets of values. So we're going to come up against this um, more and more. And the reason is because the world is at enmity with God. And uh, that is something we've really, really got to understand uh, if we want to walk with, with Jesus, if we want to be a follower of Jesus. The world we're living in hates God. It's as simple as that. Yes, there are people that are interested if we talk to them. There are people that want to talk about faith. But generally speaking, the world is at enmity with God. So these are some of the things that we perhaps are prepared or need to be prepared to face. As I said earlier on, if we're living in another country in the world, especially an Islamic country, this is nothing new. This is not a surprise. And that is why we need to pray for these persecuted Christians uh, in, in other countries. I fear this is going to be happening uh, more and more in our own context. Secondly, the blessings of mission. And I want to dwell perhaps a little bit more on some of this and, and zoom in on some of, these, uh, some of these particular verses. Let's look at them. The, first of all, the blessing of being sent out by Jesus. Verse 16, what does it Jesus say there? I am sending you out like sheep 
among wolves. I, Jesus, am sending you out. That's actually a blessing. It's not something we decide to do ourselves because we've got any kind of self-interest of making it big or, or whatever. Jesus said, I am sending you. And that's actually a privilege. That's a, that's a blessing. It's not just for those who are going overseas uh, and becoming missionaries or becoming evangelists in our own country. That is a blessing in many ways. It's also a challenge. But here's a, a, a motivation for us this evening. When you go to school in the morning, when you go to work in the morning, when you go into the shop, wherever it is you're going, Jesus says, I am sending you. You're not going on your own. And remember what Jesus said in the Great Commission at the end of Matthew's Gospel. And he said to the disciples, you're to go into all the world and you're to make disciples, not converts, disciples, people who actually do follow Jesus of all men. And what did he say? Lo, I am with you always, even until the end of the age. Okay, so Jesus promised that as we go out in his name, as we go about our daily activities, our daily life, he is actually with us. Many of you may have had that experience where, you know, you just suddenly meet someone and you start talking to them about the things of God. And, and you find an, un, an uncanny way how you're enabled, you're equipped to do that. I remember, I don't know, 10, 12 years ago, I spent four days in hospital because they thought I'd had a heart attack and I didn't. But, um, and I met this, um, guy in the, the ward opposite me and he was, humongous really and he had diabetes like like i suffer from that so we got to talking about diabetes and but we also got to talk about uh, some christian things and we arranged to meet um up afterwards and uh, it was i don't know a couple of months afterwards we we met up for a cup of coffee in in the town center and uh he actually uh was a changed man in that you know we talked about diet and what's good and what's not good and he actually lost a couple of stone he said i've done this by listening to you but that's good in that sense but also telling him about jesus and i remember on that occasion sitting with him in the coffee shop just feeling this enabling to say the right words at the right time that kind of fitted into where he was with his particular need at his particular time and this is how i believe the lord is with us um uh, all the time. No, I'm with you always. Jesus says, I'm sending you out. The next thing is being given words by the Spirit of God. Verses uh, 19 and 20. Let's just look at them. But when they arrest you, that's encouraging, isn't it? But when they arrest you, do not worry about what to say or how to say it. At that time, you will be given what to say, for it will not be you speaking, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. Isn't that just encouraging to know that when we're in that kind, or if we're in that kind of situation, that God will give you the words to say, and that's the kind of confidence that we can have. You don't have to be a preacher. You don't have to be an evangelist. You don't have to be a speaker of, of any kind. You can just be a humble Christian without little experience. But whatever situation we're in, we need to go in with that expectation that the Spirit of God will give us the words to say at the right opportunity. And the second verse is actually point three, uh, second part, sorry, verse 20 of that 
um, bit we just read. Experiencing God's fatherly care. I just think this is wonderful. Because Jesus says, it will not be you speaking, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. Hardly ever do you read in the New Testament of Jesus talking about the spirit of your father. It's usually the spirit of God or the Holy Spirit or the spirit of Christ. Here it is the spirit of your father. That is so absolutely wonderful. Because believe it or not, God is our heavenly father. You know, it took me a long time as a Christian to understand what that really meant. I had a father, and uh, he was a good father. But he was in, in the days when, I guess, fathers weren't always very close to their children. Uh, did everything we needed, but I don't ever remember sitting on my dad's knee and having, you know, a nice time and talking about all sorts of things. I don't remember that. So, as I grew as a Christian, my concept of God as a loving father was influenced by my experience of my father. So it was just a little bit distant. And it actually took quite a while for me to really grasp what Jesus meant when he said, Abba, Father. Now, I've learned a bit of Hebrew. I know some modern Hebrew. And I remember um, when Julia went on a holiday in Venice a number of years ago. And I remember overhearing some um, Israeli uh, visitors to Venice, and I remember this little child going, Abba, 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 and yeah, that's right, Daddy. I don't think the New Testament word Abba is kind of as low as Daddy, um, but it's Dear Father. It's a loving relationship with the Father. And, and that's so wonderful that Jesus says, when you're in these tough situations, when you yourself would tremble, when you yourself would not know the way out, what do I do here? Your loving heavenly father will actually give you those words. Because just as Jesus said, I will never leave you or forsake you, so our father never leaves us or forsakes us. Isn't that wonderful there? We've got a Trinitarian kind of idea. Jesus never leaves us, forsakes us. The Father never leaves us, forsakes us. The Holy Spirit is there always, always with us. Number four, there's salvation at the end of it all. Verse 22. All men who hate you, sorry, all men will hate you because of me, but he who stands firm to the end will be saved. There's salvation there. No matter what you go through, you're still going to be saved. He's going to take us through it. And we all go through our different trials, don't we? We may not go through persecution. We may not be dragged up in front of a court for for the sake of Jesus. But our trial might be in some other way. It might be a sickness. It might be a satanic attack in our lives. It might be doubt. It might be struggling with faith. It might be anything, any of these things. But Jesus promised that he would save us in the end. I'm not actually sure that this verse simply does mean you'll be saved in the sense of salvation and eternal eternal life because the word saved in Greek means to rescue so the Lord will rescue us out of that situation and save us from what's going to happen uh, but as we heard this morning in the sermon this morning if you were here if someone's got, it appears that he doesn't answer prayer and sometimes we're in situations where we're not saved out of it and things do go wrong Let's face it, at the end of the day, people do lose their lives for their faith in Jesus. People are killed for their faith in Jesus. But 
the Lord is talking about endurance. At the end of it, there is this promise of eternal salvation. Number five, knowing Jesus is coming in judgment and mercy. Uh, Verse 23, when you are persecuted in one place, flee to another. He doesn't just say, stay there and let them wipe you out. That's interesting, isn't it? I tell you the truth, you will not finish going through the cities of Israel before the Son of Man comes. Now, whatever that means, and I don't think it's just talking about the lifetime of the disciples, but it's telling us that the Son of Man, Jesus, is coming. And when he comes, it's in judgment and it's in mercy for those who follow him. One of the hardest things for us to understand and accept is injustice, isn't it, in this world? Why is this world such an unjust place? Why do people get away with what they do? And the great thing to remember is that there is one day going to be a time when we all stand before the throne of God. And that's where judgment is going to happen. And it might be that sometimes we just have to let the injustice take its course and face it as we can with Jesus. But one day, God will recompense, he will repay those who have been unjust. Unjust. And sixthly, I'm going to rush through these. Um, This is a wonderful, wonderful thing. Belonging to Jesus' household. Verse 25, don't know if you notice this. Is enough for a student to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. If the head of the house has been called Beelzebub, how much more the members of his household. So in other words, if Jesus is going to be persecuted and hated and despised because we're his followers... That's going to happen to us. Don't be surprised. But Jesus says, how much more the members of his household. We are members of the household of faith. We are part of God's family. Don't take that for granted. Never take that for granted. If you're saved, if you know that your sins are forgiven, rejoice in that. Our brother this morning who was preaching um, quite rightly said that, you know, it's not, not right for a, a preacher to to reveal the sort of personal issues in his life and, and what he's gone through. But I want to share one thing um, that happened to me a couple of years ago um, that, that showed me, the way of God showed me how I need to really be thankful that I know God, that I've been saved. And uh, I woke up one, one middle of one night with this, it was like a raging headache, like my head was on fire. I'd never had anything like it before. And a kind of mental explosion I couldn't, possibly explain it I thought I was actually having a a nervous breakdown just wake up in the night just a random nervous breakdown that's what it felt like I've never had a nervous breakdown so I'm not quite sure what it feels like but I I went into our spare room and I just prayed and, and an overwhelming sense of the seriousness of sin just came over me and an overwhelming understanding of what it is like to die with your sin not forgiven. And I, I remember crying, I thought I was, I'm a Christian, but I remember crying out to God, Lord, have mercy, have mercy. And, and then the, these words came to me, this is what it's like if you die without Jesus. And I wouldn't wish that upon anybody at all. Tonight, if you, if you are saved, rejoice in that, that you are a member of the household of God. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God if your sin is not forgiven. Tonight, make sure you know you're in that right relationship with God. 
So there's the costs and the blessings of mission or discipleship. I want to really make some application to this and to try and, you know, encourage you. And that's what I want to be about tonight is encouraging you in view of all that Jesus says here. How do we get through this? How do we face these possibilities of, you know, your family hating you and your uh, your your father handing you over to be killed and being arrested and thrown in prison? And be, it's awful. So how do we live? How do we walk in, in, in some kind of victory through this? These are basically gleaned from my own experience and through studying, studying scriptures. And, and I would say the first thing is we need to make sure we have an intimacy uh, with God. I could preach two sermons on this tonight, so, uh, but I really, really think this is perhaps one of the most important things of what I want to say tonight. I've been a Christian since 1973, so that's I don't know, 46 years. That's, you know, not as many as some of you here. But it's enough to say that I've had some experience um, in seeking God. For me, seeking God just reminds me, as the scripture says, great is the mystery of godliness. The more I seek God, the more I don't understand him. (laughs) The more I guess I know about God and the scriptures, the, the more I realize I don't know and understand and somebody described seeking God as like a, a stag hunt. Now, I've never been on a hunt, but I can imagine what it's like when you're hunting a stag, when they, you go through the mountains and you're chasing this beast, and he's elusive and he hides, and you've got to search him out. I, I believe that God's promise is, if you seek me, you will find me, if you will seek me with all your heart. I seek God with all my heart, I really do. And sometimes I go on long walks, especially in the summer, lots of countryside where we live and, and, and lovely long walks. And what's great is that there's no one else around. And so I pray and I pray aloud. And sometimes I shout to God because I'm a bit frustrated at times because I don't know God as much as I really want to know him. I want to know him more and more and a deeper intimacy and relationship with God. And sometimes I find that frustrating, but I know it's part of the deal that none of us, this side of eternity, ever arrives at the place where we know God fully. It's only in eternity will we know and be fully known. So seeking God is a bit like a stag hunt. Pray against, pray and fight against the world, the flesh and the devil. This is the biggest thing most of us struggle with, isn't it, at the end of the day, is our prayer life. Somebody said our prayer life is the only thing that's vertical in life. Everything else in our relationships is horizontal. We have relationships with people around us, family, friends, so on. But our relationship with God is vertical. God is in heaven. Sometimes it seems like he's a distance. Of course he's not. But prayer is is the key issue that we've got to get organized and sorted out in our lives. As I said earlier, how much have you experienced whenever you know you've, you want to pray, but there's something inside you that tries to put you off? How many times has it happened? And this, this literally has happened to Julie and I. We pray together every day. How often, Julie will tell you, we're sitting down, we open our Bible, the phone goes. Yeah, it's almost as if someone knows the other side that we're about to pray. Or someone will knock at the door. Or there's an interruption. There are things that seem to be said against us in our prayer life. 
I'm not saying it's all the devil, but listen. The devil is looking for any dead space you can give him. So if you're just wasting time in your life rather than seeking God, what is it the old saying has? The devil finds work for idle hands to do. If we're really following Jesus, we really need to seek him and we seek him in prayer. I read just this afternoon, somebody said, uh, I've started to seek Jesus a lot more now. I'm starting to pray, but it seems like I'm going in reverse because the more I'm seeking God and the more I'm praying, the more flack I'm getting. That's exactly what it is like. And this is where Winston Churchill's words actually are quite encouraging to us, that we've got to persevere. And our aim, he said, is in one word, victory. Do not let the world, the flesh, or the devil get victory in your prayer life. If you are married, the most important thing you can do as a couple is pray together. As the saying goes, the couple that prays together stays together. We each of us individually need to find that place, that time, when we can just get alone with God. And then you won't become a genius at prayer overnight. It takes a long time to learn prayer. I mean, if I were to show you how many books on prayer I've got at home. I mean, just on my bookshelf. From the Puritans to the early church, right up to some of the modern writers today, because that's been my great desire, is to know how to pray. And I've read the books again and again. Very few are helpful. Some I could recommend. Prayer is uh, intimacy with God and, and prayer is also a massive battlefield. I remember once at my allotment, I, I got a couple of allotments, I like growing vegetables. But I remember earlier this year when I was um, digging, getting the soil prepared for, for planting, and, and I had a massive satanic attack. Like, how do you know it's all true? How do you know this Jesus stuff really is? And it just came out of nowhere. When you get thoughts like that, that come out of nowhere... They're not your thoughts. Okay, they're from the evil one. I've had plenty of those in my time. And I remember struggling with it. I wrestled with it. I was not going to give in. And I clutched at everything I could, every Bible verse I could think of and quote and deal with it. I ended up singing, good job nobody else was around. Um, it was an Easter hymn. Um, ah, I forgot what it was now. But anyway, I remember just singing this hymn. And I'm saying devil I declare to you and I was singing the words of this hymn and I was using scripture if anybody was watching through the hedge they would have taken me away and locked me up but sometimes that is what spiritual warfare is really like you've heard of Martin Luther and you probably know the story how one day he was attacked so much by the, by the devil he threw his bottle of ink at the devil it's so real it sometimes can be so if you struggle in prayer use scripture quote scripture all the time that's what Jesus did when he was tempted in the wilderness but just remember that we've got these three enemies the world the flesh and the devil and they will fight to stop you praying secondly repentance right I need to finish soon I believe repentance is is largely missing in the church true true repentance we need to learn what repentance means personal and corporate um, one of the Puritans said, Repentance is my sweet sister with whom I walk hand in hand until I reach the gates of heaven. It's good to repent, to keep a clean account with God 
and even come together as a church and repent. Maybe even repent of the sins of our nation. I was reading and studying Daniel recently. Daniel chapter 9. Daniel was a good godly man, but he repented on behalf of the sins of Israel. Maybe we need to repent on behalf of the sins of our country. Absolute surrender to Jesus. Everything for him and through him. Being crucified with Christ. When you're on a cross being crucified, you lose all your rights. That's the kind of attitude we need as we, as we follow Jesus. I was listening to, uh, a few weeks ago, a converted Muslim preaching. And he said this, it really impacted me. He said, it's not all about me anymore, it's all about Jesus. And that is exactly the attitude we need to cultivate. Paul said in Galatians, I'm a bond, literally a bond slave of Jesus Christ. A bond slave, I learned, had um, a mark burnt into the skin. One on the back of the neck, one on the side, one on the sole of your feet. To, to prove, you know, that you were a slave and to, to show you didn't belong to yourself anymore, you belonged to someone else. And that's the word that Paul uses. I'm a bond slave of Jesus Christ. And that's what the Lord calls us to do. I'm going to rush through these because time is running out. Holiness through growing intimacy with God, personal and corporate. Again, I think in lots of churches in our land, there is not a focus on living a holy life um, before the Lord. Acceptable worship. Are we singing to one we don't really know? Is our worship on a Sunday morning just a few songs to someone we don't really know or don't really pray to? Does our praise really glorify God or does it simply please our flesh? That's a a, a challenging one, isn't it? Um, acceptable worship is something to cultivate in our individual life as well as a, our life as a church and equipping by the Holy Spirit without the Holy Spirit we go nowhere friends, we go absolutely nowhere Holy Spirit is absolutely essential there's a lot more I was going to say um, about that but I'll just say this in, in Ephesians 5 verse 18 it says don't be drunk with wine but be filled with the Holy Spirit now, if you ever met a drunk person, they lose all their inhibitions, don't they? You ever met a drunk person? They don't care what they say. They'll tell you all the deep secrets of their heart and tell you what they think about you and everything else. If you're drunk in the Holy Spirit, if you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you will, you will lose your inhibition about speaking to people about Jesus. If you let the Holy Spirit take possession and take over, you'll have that ability. He will enable you. To, to speak for him and to serve him. And uh, finally, the reward of victory. And for me, as I understand the Christian life, I mean, it's all about Jesus. I, I nearly bought some of my favorite books and put them out here at the front to, to, to show you where I've been going in my Christian life. The best books apart from the Bible for me are The Christian in Complete Armour by William Gurnall, written in the time of the English Civil War. It's about that thick. It's got about two or 3,000 pages, and it's on a few verses in Ephesians chapter 6. Nobody writes books like that anymore. I bought that a few couple of years after I was saved. That has been medicine for my soul. And uh, 
John Newton, the man who wrote Amazing Grace, said if he were to ever have one book beside the Bible, it would be that book, The Christian in Complete Armour. If you can get it, get it and read it. Um, the other book is by Isaac Ambrose, another Puritan called Looking Unto Jesus. It's a few hundred pages long, but I've never, ever seen anybody write about Jesus in the way that that man writes. And it is actually, for me, an act of worship to read that. It is wonderful. You can get it on Amazon, four or five pounds. Amazing. It's all about the glory of our God. This is all we want. It's not about Long Crendon Baptist Church. It's not about you. It's all about Jesus. Some of you, I guess, will have heard of the Moravians. The Moravians were a group of Christians from Eastern Germany, what's now Eastern Germany, Czech Republic, that sort of area. At the beginning of the 18th century, under the leadership of Count Nikolaus von Sinzendorf, um, experienced a, a revival and uh, a great um, missionary project and a prayer meeting that lasted over a hundred years. How long is your prayer meeting here? They prayed continually for a hundred years. They were the beginning of the modern mission movement. Let me just read you this story. Two young Moravians heard of an island in the West Indies where an atheist British slave owner had two to three thousand slaves. The owner had said, no preacher, no clergyman will ever stay on this island. If he's shipwrecked, we'll keep him in a separate house until he has to leave. But he's never going to talk to any of us about God. I'm through with all that nonsense. 3,000 slaves from the jungles of Africa brought to an island in the Atlantic and there to live and die without hearing of Christ. Several thousand black slaves toiled in the sugarcane fields under the burning sun. 3,000 slaves were doomed to live and die without hearing of Christ. Two young Germans in their 20s from the Moravians heard about their plight. They were willing to sell themselves to the British slave owner, plantation owner, for the standard price of a male slave which they did. The Moravian community from Herrenhut came to see the two lads off and they would never return again because they freely sold themselves into a lifetime of slavery. As a member of the slave community, they would witness as Christians to the love of God. Family members were emotional, weeping. Was their extreme sacrifice wise? Was it necessary? The housings had been cast off and were curled up on the pier as the ship slipped away with the tide and the gap widened between the ship and the pier, the young men linked arms and raised their hands and shouted across the spreading gap, may the lamb that was slain receive the reward of his suffering. May the lamb that was slain receive the reward of his suffering. And that harks back to Isaiah chapter 53 where it says he will see his offspring and prolong his days and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand after the suffering of his soul he will see the light of life and be satisfied by his knowledge my righteous servant Jesus will justify many and he will bear their iniquities and that my friends is the emblem of the Moravians our lamb has conquered let us follow him. We started off with lambs, didn't we? Jesus said, I'm sending you out as lambs amongst the wolves, sheep amongst the wolves. 
And for, for, for us, surely, what mission and discipleship is all about is bringing glory to Jesus. It's all about Jesus receiving the reward of his sufferings. People coming to know him, people being saved. And uh, I'll finish with this wonderful passage from the book of Revelation. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honour and glory and blessing. On the last bit. Blessing and honour and glory and power be to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. This is our motivation. Glory to Jesus in all things. And, And as we sum up this evening, isn't this worth what Jesus said might happen to us? Are we prepared to count the cost? And are we prepared to build our Christian life in such a way that when we're faced with this kind of um, attack in our in our life, this kind of situation that we go into, are we strong in prayer, in holiness, in worship? Are we strong as believers to make our way through life? So Jesus said, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. And that means... Be prepared. Be prepared. So my question to you tonight is, are you prepared to follow Jesus? Amen.